Um, I also promise that we will both tell the truth while yes. we're up here and not deliver squishy, uh, politically convenient lies. Okay. Um, uh, You've been to too many panels already today, <laughs> I, I can know. tell. I know. And this is Anise Parker. She's the former mayor of Houston, uh, now a fellow at the, John, uh, the Door Institute at Rice University, uh, and the senior officer of... Senior VP at uh, Neighborhood Centers. Senior VP at Neighborhood Centers. And um, thank you for coming. Thank you for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Uh, so the thing that I left out of your initial bio was that you also happened to be the first openly gay mayor of a major metropolitan city, um, which is presumably why we're here at a panel called the LGTB Agenda. But something I, I noticed in going through some of the things that have been written about you up until weirdly 2014 or so, is that you really went out of your way to say, I don't represent the lesbian and gay community. Like several interviews, you, you sort of said, yes, that is part of who I am. Um, that is where I had some, I've done activism. But you really, really um, differentiated yourself as sort of a, a being a spokesperson. But here we are on this panel where presumably you will speak to that experience as a representative. Is something changed for you? Well, when I entered, I, I did start out as a, a, an LGBT activist. I was an activist in the 70s, a, a very different time. Uh, but uh, when I entered public service, when I was first elected to office, I had to say, I'm not a spokesperson for the community. And certainly when I became mayor of Houston, mayors are in a, are uniquely, uh, the, the face and voice of their cities. And when, when mayors speak, they speak on behalf of their cities. So I had to be very careful to say, I'm not a spokes. Yes, I'm, I'm an out lesbian. I'm certainly not trying to hide that. But I don't speak for the community any longer. I speak for my city. And I tried to, to, to separate that where I, where I could. Although I did use the fact that when I was elected in uh, the end of 2009, I, I got unprecedented media coverage. And it people don't associate <laughs> Houston with being an yeah. open and tolerant place. It was, wow, oh, lesbian mayor of Houston or Houston. How did that happen in Houston? <laughs> it must have been an accident. Right. But I was able to use the attention and pivot away from it and, and talk about the things I wanted to talk about as mayor to, to benefit the city. And it actually proved to be a real benefit to Houston because so many uh, different organizations, news outlets were paying attention to Houston. We started trending mm -hmm. in, uh, on the, the east and the west coast, which tends to ignore Houston, and we suddenly became really cool. Uh, you know, fact, fact, not, uh, not literally so. Not literally so, but, but uh, no, Forbes called us the coolest city in America. I thought <laughs> that was really really cool yeah. so uh, but but uh, being able to use it and and with some rare exceptions I really tried to stay out of the fray on uh, LGBT issues and I turned down all interviews you know like the like the view and those kinds of things I didn't want to go talk about the LGBT agenda not while I was representing the city now I, I don't have those restraints okay. any longer so. right. and also you know something happened in your last term as mayor that made Houston a flashpoint for discussion about the agenda. Um, is it okay if I talk about bathrooms oh, with of you? Course, okay. Of course, of <laughs> course. Because the, you know, <coughs> we can talk about the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, yes. but the interesting thing, the aftermath of the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, it just convinced me, it, it got me re-energized. I, I spent, I graduated from college in the late 70s. I'm 60 years old. There are no secrets in politics. <laughs> and I spent the first 10 years of my business career, and I spent 20 years working in the oil industry. I, I spent the first 10 years as Miss Gay Everything. I was an officer, a board member of dozens of, of state and local Ms. organizations. Ms. Gay, Ms. Gay Everything. And, and, I, and, I, and I sort of got over it. And so I spent the next 10 years as I was working on senior issues, and I was working on uh, I was a civic club president, and it was all neighborhood stuff. And I, I wasn't that I was ignoring the gay stuff. It just I wanted new, new things that, that got me excited. And then, nearly 20 years in in public life, and now I'm back to being a, a lesbian activist again. Mm -hmm. And I 
I, I'm excited, and I uh, in blood blood in the water. I'm uh, we're gonna we're gonna win this, <laughs> and uh, whatever they thought they were they were they were doing by attacking Houston and attacking what was an excellent ordinance, they 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 brought me back into the fight. I, that is what I'm really curious about because it seems to me again looking at the broad history that you had as mayor, doing a lot of different things. Um, actually, you were very, as they say, pro-business. Uh, Democrat, the Wall Street Journal liked you. Yes. Um, <laughs> when, it, when we talked a little bit how about Houston had no zoning, and you were like, "Yes, right on." Um, no, it might not have been something that even you may have predicted that you would wind up with this huge fight. Which briefly, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, which became the bathroom bill, although I found this out in doing my research, bathrooms not mentioned in the bill at all. The word bathrooms is not in there. Um, it became sort of this, I think it's the first time where nationwide that rhetoric was used. Um, and it became this really bruising battle, a very personal one. Like you got, a, you got people sending you Bibles in the mail. Yes. Um, I read that your mother had, was watching Fox News and asked you about what was going on, um, which I have questions about, separate questions about your mom watching Fox News. My, my mother's a very conservative <laughs> Republican. She loves me, but she's a very conservative Republican. I, so I hate to confess that. I outed my mom now. You know, what was that like for you? Like, did you expect it? Did, were you, you know, you said now, like, you feel like it, it re-energized you on that front. But I'm very curious about what, what that was like. Well, let, let's talk about the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance for, for just yes. a moment, because it is playing out nationwide now. Our ordinance, What's happened over the last 20 years is lots and lots of cities had non-discrimination ordinances, and they opened their ordinances and added the words sexual orientation and gender identity mm -hmm. to the federally protected standard list. Mm -hmm. uh, Houston, like so many other, we don't have zoning, we don't have this, we don't have that. We didn't have a non-discrimination ordinance. Very libertarian city. It's one of the most libertarian cities city. in, the, in the country. We did not have a non-discrimination ordinance at all. And so I, a little bit naively, thought, well, we're going to be passing this ordinance for the first time. And we took best langu language from all of these other cities. 200 plus cities have similar ordinances. And we incorporated it into ours. And no, it doesn't say anything about bathrooms. It just <laughs> lists all the protected categories uh, and put it before uh, city council. And it, and it passed handily. There was a, uh, a recall petition, which led to a court battle. And I, and I do feel compelled to say that as mayor, it actually, one of those uh, moments of uh, unexpected leadership, I had basically the sole decision on whether to put it on the ballot or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, it, they, they didn't follow the rules. First of all, I don't Your think opponents the, my, opponents, the, the, the opponents. petitioners did not right. follow the rules. Now, I don't think it's my civil rights should be subject to a popular vote. That aside, they didn't follow the rules. So I didn't allow it on the ballot, and there was a court battle. Uh, my position was upheld by a jury. My position was upheld by a judge. It was on appeal by the petitioners, and the state Supreme Court just said, waved their hands and said, we just think it needs to be on the ballot. We don't care what the, what the law is, or the, just put it on the Shocking. ballot. Yes. So it went to the ballot, and it all came down to, as you said, the bathrooms and whether uh, transgendered women, primarily, because no one wants to talk about transgendered men, but transgendered women going into the women's rooms. And people men, no men. No in men women's in women's bathrooms. bathrooms. But you have to remember that when this was on the ballot last year, this was the first thing out of the chute after the equal marriage mm -hmm. ruling. And the right across America was just infuriated by the Supreme Court's position. And they put all their energy and attention into the Houston ballot measure and uh, used, and when they won, they took the lessons that they had learned in Houston and tried to apply them across the country, and, and ergo uh, Charlotte and, and several others. Uh, while, I, while I'm here, I want to give a bouquet to the city of Dallas, which is rare from someone <laughs> from Houston. But you know, Dallas had a non-discrimination ordinance that protected sexual orientation and gender identity. But it was a the language was a little fuzzy. And so the week, one week after we went down in flames in Houston, the Dallas City Council uh, amended their ordinance, uh, 
brought it up again and clarified that uh, bathrooms were open oh. in Dallas. Right. So, you know, God love them. I, I appreciate their, their courage. So you bring a very good point. I think you're, you're correct that the right did use Houston as sort of a test case for their own strategies. And obviously, I don't want to curse, but effing bathrooms, right? Like that's what they got. And that's what the language that they're using. So, you know, having been through this bruising battle, what do you think the left or progressives or people on the side of civil rights, what can they learn from what happened? Well, the, um as someone who, who has been doing this for actually nearly 45 years, started out, I came out when I was 15 and, and got involved in community, uh, we've already won the war. This, is a, this was a battle that was, was lost very frustratingly, but the average age of voter in that Houston municipal election was 68 years old. Uh, any, any voter under, under 40, it's like no big deal. Right. Uh, and so the frustrating thing is not that, that we lost as much as what it's going to take to get young people engaged in the political process uh, on, on issues that they care about. The other is that we had the ordinance in effect for a few months, and because we had never had any kind of ordinance, uh, we had maybe a dozen complaints, the majority of which had to do with uh, racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. And so now Houston has no, we still have no real mechanism at the local level to, to deal with those racial discrimination Right, complaints. there were like 10 categories that the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance protected, yeah, something like that. 15, and but it's race 15. and gender and religion right. and age and so forth, like all the Military standard. service, I remember Mil one Military of them. service, yeah, pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, and none of those people are now protected. No, because we, we're, we're back to the status quo. Right, you know, it's interesting you bring up race here because one of the things I wanted to ask you about sort of dovetails with that. Well, they are protected, oh. I want to say. I, I, oh, this particular. They're protected, but it's that, you know, that old joke about, well, don't make a federal case out of it. If you don't have local protections, all you can do is file a federal <laughs> lawsuit. It's all kind of a long, slow way to get right. relief. They don't have local protections. They don't have local it. protections. Um, so you have been doing this, you said, 45 years? Yeah. Did you, it does, I would never be able to guess. Um, <laughs> That's a long time to be involved in a movement. And I even just want to ask you, so the name of this, this session is LGBT. There's no Q. I assume that's just an oversight, because now we always add a Q. Uh, oh, there is? Oh, I didn't see it. OK. There's a Q. Awesome. But there's the way the language has changed and the way the movement has changed. Like When I started, it was all the gay movement. Right. So yeah. So what? what is the, what has been the most surprising thing to you? Like looking back over that 45 years involvement in this movement, what's most surprising or interesting about where we are today? We are so far beyond where I thought we would be when I, when I started. I would not have, if you'd asked me back when I was in college in the 70s, whether we would have uh, equal marriage in, in America in my lifetime, I, I would have said, no, probably not. But it's worth working for. Right. And it, it just seems to be moving faster and faster and faster. And do you think that there's another thing that's interesting to me, like right before um, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance uh, was passed by city council, I saw you gave a speech at the California uh, Democratic Convention where you talked about reaching out across party lines. <laughs> you talked You've about the faith homework, community. Yeah. You actually just talked explicitly about faith communities and about, um, and I, I interview afterwards, you said, you know, we need to stop characterizing the, the religion, people not, of faith as a religious right. Uh, it was, it, well, actually, I've been doing a lot of speaking. I, I'm a, even though I was in a nonpartisan position as mayor, I did all, and I, just like I didn't, I wasn't a spokesperson for the GLBT community while I was mayor, I also did my partisan politicking out of state. Right. So, you know, Florida and California, but, I think the Democratic Party is the party of family and faith and freedom, and that we have ceded these faith arguments to um, the Re Republicans. Family values is about valuing families mm -hmm. and all families and, and supporting families, and so wanting to have those kinds of, of conversations. And, and I don't think we should, and maybe it's just, you, know, you grow up in the South and you grow up, grow up in the church and you're comfortable with it, you ought to be able to talk about, I think, the, the church in which I grew up, it was about, it was faith based on love, not about who we keep out of the circle. Right. 
So even having gone through this battle where the religious right really, like, I mean, you Google, you know, you, and what comes up is a lot of, like, religious right um, complaints, let's say. There was this brief period where you... One is judged by one's enemies. Yes. Uh, well, I, it's true, but, like, so having gone through this, and you, you, they did the thing where they sent you all these Bibles in the mail, and uh, that was over... Uh, a subpoena that apparently you didn't even see before it went out. Yeah. Um, and I donated the Bibles to, uh, it's funny, I had pastors sending me Bibles from across the, the country and then local pastors uh, calling me and say, hey, we, we could use, use the Bibles. Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, do you, are you any, maybe a little more jaded about the possibilities of, you know, faith being something that we can talk about and share? Um, or, or the, the battle between the left and the right being something that, that can be bridged. Like, I feel like this election cycle in particular, the gulf between progressives and conservatives has just sort of, I don't know if it got any wider, but it maybe got deeper. You know, this, this uh, current election is, it, it violates all of the, and I know there are panels about this uh, here at the conference, but it, it violate, violates all the traditional wisdom on what candidates should do and shouldn't do and, and how we should talk about things. Um, I, I certainly think that, that Donald Trump has kind of tapped into the, to the national id that we don't want to talk about and the like, free-floating anxiety of a lot of people who are unhappy with the tremendous changes that are sweeping America not, and the globe, not just changes in this area. But I have always had great faith in the basic decency of Americans. And that what, what is needed is to be able to have the conversations. One of the reasons that I think government actually works at the local level we were, we were talking before yeah. we came in here about, yeah. uh, you know, so many people focus on the national, and national politics and government, but government at the municipal level, at the local level, really affects people's right. lives. And it's about, it's about real things, uh, concrete things that, that affect people's lives. And what makes it work is that we're, we realize that we're in it together and there's lots of communication mm -hmm. back and forth. And what I have discovered is if you focus on, if you focus more on what, where your points of agreement are, you can get you can get past those those great divides. I and and I, I sounds a little Pollyannish, but I have been in politics a long time, and it's and it's worked for me. And there's almost uh, there's an odd dynamic in, in, of LGBT candidates. Now I was an activist. I didn't like run for office, get elected, and suddenly come out. I was well-known lesbian activist in Houston when I ran, and it was part of the the conversation, and I lost my first two races. I won nine races, uh, citywide in Houston, but I lost my first two. And every time I saw my name in print, it was Anise Parker, lesbian activist, running for city council. And I realized uh, one of the things I needed to do when my third race, which I won, was not stop being an East Parker lesbian activist, but be more to the people I was asking to vote for me, so they needed to have more data points and they needed to see more things that we could connect on. And that's always what has made America work, is being able to, and this is why, as, a, as a, a nation of immigrants and new waves of people, we've been able to, to come together, is to be able to say, I'm not gonna focus on what I don't like about you, let's focus on what, I, what we can work together on. I think that's a lovely vision. <laughs> Um. And it works sometimes. <laughs> and it works sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get up this morning to go see Dan Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> we yeah. can talk about some of my least favorite people. Yeah. Um, but but see, that's but that's not that's a politician playing to a crowd, right. very cynically. Not, and I don't know what the real Dan Patrick thinks. For example. Yeah. See how I'm? You know, I'm out of office. <laughs> I can talk about what I want to now. But I do want. I mean, this election in particular, you know, has brought up this. It does seem like we're more divided. Um, and we self-segregate. You know, as a mayor, <coughs> cities are incredibly segregated. Um, people live in with people like themselves. Houston is more economically stratified than than racially. Certainly, there are uh, uh, 
areas of Houston that are predominantly Hispanic or African American, but one in four Houstonians is foreign born. So, the, so there's so much international influx and it tends to uh, blend us all together a little bit. I, I don't but, but yes, you know, my mother listening to Fox right. News, like, Mom, why are you watching that crap? But yeah, well, actually, go on about <laughs> your mother. I'll, you can lay down. I will. Tell me about your dreams. No, um, I am, but I am curious because I actually married into a Republican family. Um, and I've had to spend much of this past, there are probably calluses on my tongue from where I've bitten down on it. Um, what is this, what is that like for you? So I went, uh, I w went home last, last fall, went home. I am from Houston, my mother was born in Houston, both my parents were born in Houston, but she lives in, in South Carolina now, and I went to visit mom, she picked me up at the airport, she says, so great you're here, what all are you gonna be doing? And I said, well, I'm here to campaign for someone who's running for mayor of, of Charleston, but while I'm here, I'm gonna do some work for Hillary Clinton. And she goes, you're supporting that woman? <laughs> and I said, well, who are you supporting? And she said, Ben Carson. And I said, well, we're just not gonna talk politics very much while I'm here, are we, Mom? Um, but we actually did talk about what the issues were. So we couldn't talk about who we were supporting because she has opinions about, I had opinions about Ben Carson and she had opinions about Hillary Clinton. But the issues, and the issues we, we care about are, are very similar. And I'm the black sheep of the family. Everybody else in my family is a Republican. Mm. So mother is probably more, gets more nervous about telling people that I'm a Democrat than, than that I'm a lesbian. So, because everybody <laughs> knows I'm a lesbian, but now, you know, the Democratic right. thing. But it, it, it this, I know you sound as like, it sounds like a nice vision, but it, it is the only thing that will allow us as a, America to go forward, and it's the reason that you can have dysfunction in Washington, but at the local level, we, we actually get along pretty well, it, is that at the local level, you, we, there's a more of a realization, you're all in it together, and we work on real things. Uh, despite uh, and, and that we're now beginning to have conversations not just about LGBT issues, but about, uh, about race in, in right. new ways that, right. that are healthy and we're gonna have to do it. I actually wanted, uh, uh, interesting that you should point out that local level people tend to, it, it, the party identity seems to sort of abate a bit and you focus on the problems. Eric Erickson, everyone know who that is? Yeah, he was on city council, I think, or local, had a local government position and someone did an analysis of what his voting record was as a local politician, and it was like actually super liberal, like in just in terms of like spending and r repair and whatnot, because he was like having to deal with like real problems. He can be, you know, super conservative on a national level, but when you get down to the local no level, no one, no one runs for, uh, no one's elected mayor by saying I'm going to slash your taxes <laughs> and not fill potholes. <laughs> um, although it's interesting to me, like you once, you, <coughs> you've said that it was the social issues that drove you from the Republican Party. Um, mm -hmm. I, what do you think is more likely, that uh, the Republican Party shift on social issues so that it becomes more welcoming for people who are gay and lesbian, transgender, bisexual, or the Democratic Party have more fiscal conservatives? Well, I would have thought it was going to be the Democratic Party moving toward the, the middle, but this last campaign where uh, Senator Sanders kind of pushed uh, the, uh. The, the party to the left, that's, uh, that's going to be a challenge. I, Houston doesn't elect uh, uh, far left mayors. We tend to be centrist, business focused. I was, I was probably the most conservative of the three Democrats who were running for mayor, and and I received a lot of Republican support. I'm I'm proud of that. It's about mayors about doing the job and 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 getting it done. Um, but the reason, one of the reasons that we have to begin to get past this issue of of LGBT. Uh, inclusion is that it's, it's an unfortunate distraction and um, you know, most of the companies across, big companies across America and most of our peer cities, you know, I'm thinking of Houston, have already figured out that you want to tap into the skills and abilities of everybody and uh, that needs to include a large number of people who are LGBT. One of the, I think, the difference for the transgender community right now is that, you know, I, again, I started working on these issues in the 70s and they're barely talked about. Mm -hmm. 
And in the intervening decades, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody in America who can't say, yes, I actually know somebody. Well, anybody who has, owns a TV set who can say, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know somebody who's, right. who's lesbian or, or, or gay. And most of them actually know somebody in their workplace or in community. Too many Americans can say that they don't know a real person who is transgender. That they know of. That they know of. Right. And uh, un until everybody gets at least a certain comfort level with that, we're still going to have problems with the desire to discriminate. I mean, I do think it is true that the more you, that that's how breakdown barriers, right? And that's what's unfortunate about self-segregating on whatever level, is that you, what, mm -hmm. the more people you know of a different race, a different you know, sexual orientation, the more likely you are to be okay with them, right? Um, so transgender you know, issues, the, the T and the Q, have become sort of the forefront of this wave um, of the you know, uh, gay and lesbian civil rights movement. What do you think about that? Like, where do you think about that leading edge? Like, where that is? Well, it it was inevitable, uh, in because in so many ways the uh, the L and the G, <laughs> but, uh, you know, lesbians and, and, and gays there are have been are becoming much more integrated into mm -hmm. uh, American society. And that, but there is still a, a frontier out there that has to be uh, crossed. And even, even today, uh, not, not it used to be much worse. But it, it, but it's still today that in a, in a large gathering of uh, you know the, the gay and lesbian community, you're still going to find uh, folks who are uncomfortable with the transgender issue. It is it is not quite the same issue. Mm -hmm. But it, it's all uh, brought together, and the expectation is that uh, uh, lesbians and gay men will or should be completely comfortable with it, and a lot of us aren't. Mm. So we're still grappling with that issue too. So it's not surprising that the the larger society is, and even with so here's the I, I'm going to put my psychoanalyst hat on here, but um, we were talking about your mother. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> but uh, I mean. I'm I'm a woman. I have no desire to to be a man. It is a fundamentally different issue to believe that you're in the wrong body, and it it strikes so much to the the, the binary nature of, of how we structure you know the the social constructs that define our our world that it makes everyone uncomfortable. And how could it not? Yeah, I think that one of the things we've moved the, in, in this movement, what's happened is we've gone from kind of getting people to recognize that the binaries are equal to asking them to not think about binaries at all, which is it's a tough thing for humans yeah. to do. I kind of, I want to ask you this, which is about bathrooms. And I feel <coughs> self-conscious about bringing it up, but like, do you think, do you wish that people wouldn't talk about that? Or do you think maybe that one way forward, because unfortunately, it seems to be that is the flashpoint. That is the argument that we have. Um, or should we just embrace it and be like, yes, should, this is about bathrooms? I think, should, I think we should embrace it. Now, I'm going to say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but not entirely. And that is that, to me, the, there are three hallmarks of living in the first world in a civilized <laughs> society. One of them is you know, fresh, clean drinking water whenever you want it. Another is air conditioning. You know, I am from Houston. <laughs> and, and the third is access to clean, safe toilets. You're not in a civilized society if you don't have those, those right. three things. And why would we deny our right. brothers and sisters access to something so fundamental? Because everybody has to have some place to toilet. Everybody has to go one and two. Everyone. And, yeah. and the idea that, that you know, invasions of, the, of, of bathrooms, well, um, everybody who's ever, you know, Flown on a plane has shared a bathroom with someone of the opposite <laughs> uh, gender, and you know, and it's just right. It's it's nuts. It's about how do you accommodate a basic human function in in a way that. And if that's the starting point of the conversation, that's the starting point of the conversation. Yeah, and we have to. We, we just we just have to do it. It's about fundamental fairness and and decency, and 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 if people have a real fear, and, and that is one of the things that, that came up during the Houston campaign. And, and, and actually, anybody who wants to see how I really felt about the Hero Ordinance, 
you can go in on YouTube and see my speech. You can tell. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. I was, I, as I said, it re-energized me. But uh, it's, it, you can have, if people, if people have the conversations, to walk through yeah. the logic of it. And, and you know, uh, I've had these kinds of conversations with my mom. I mean, you can get there. Yeah. But it's the, but it, you, you have to be real with each other and talk about what are you really afraid of. Right. And, it, and, and, you know, it's really easy to raise the, the straw man of this is going to be, you know, allowing sexual predators into, into women's bathrooms. Why does it work? Because it's coming at the same time we're having a national conversation about rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about a dog whistle? I mean, they go right together. Yeah. And I actually want to point out that um, the idea that bathrooms can be a starting point for a conversation, a serious conversation about civil rights, um, was driven home to me that during one of the earlier, the, when we first started talking about the uh, um, HB2, is it? Like the one in uh, Carolina. Um, John Lewis, civil rights icon, total, my, I want to be him when I grow up, uh, tweeted out just a photo of him being arrested for entering a whites-only bathroom. Yeah. That was, that was a, a, a huge flashpoint during the, the civil rights movement. Yeah. Actually, and it's what killed the Equal Rights Amendment, too. Phyllis Schlafly, not, may she not rest in peace. <laughs> turning, flipping, flipping, flipping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to get to race because, um, you know, uh, in the news has been uh, these horrible killings, these extrajudicial killings of uh, black men. Uh, and Oh, I'm going to say, wait, okay. When women, too. Well, uh, I was actually. Extrajudicial, extra okay. Okay. Well, not in a court of law. Okay. Um, and I was actually going to point out that I way too many, way too many, way too many African Americans, particularly right. African American men, have been yeah. shot by police officers. Yes, yes. Um, and this that's also actually an LGBT issue. I don't know, maybe you're aware of this, but I did some research on it. Like transgender individuals are the victims of a lot of police violence, disproportionately. So especially transgendered people of color. Um, and you've had as a mayor, you dealt with some uh, police. Uh, use of force issues. Seeing what's going on now, um, like what what do you think are the best practices um, for people in your position, mayors? Oh well, that's a that's a complete conversation, oh, yeah. and it's a, in 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 and of itself. But when I go, let's go back to why it's so important to be aware of local government officials. The quality of the training of the police department that's going to pull you over is determined by uh, probably your, your your mayor and your city council. So yes, it does behoove you to pay attention to them. Uh, it's it's about it's an issue of training. It's an issue of ha having a better community understanding of what. What a police officer's, you know, walking in each other's shoes. What a police officer is thinking. What the community member is thinking. It's about having uh, appropriate avenues for. Uh, you know, I'm blessed by the fact that while we had some unfortunate shootings in Houston while I was mayor, and we had some some public protest, we we've never had. Uh, uh, you know, we did not have. We haven't in decades had uh, a riot with violence or anything like that. But part of the key was having a police chief who, as soon as an incident happened, could pick up the phone and call what, three leaders, five leaders in the, you know, the particular community, not just in the African-American community, but in the neighborhood where this happened, and say, this has happened. I want you to know about it. I want you to come to me so I can, we can go over the facts together and to be, and to be proactive. And then to go out into community and make sure that you're there and you're seen so that it's not one community here and one community there. It's an understanding that, that everybody's in it together. Just in the nature of policing, you are going to have incidents. And if you don't have the mechanisms in place to have the conversations around them, you're going to have problems. And once something has happened, and we've been seeing this, of course, over the last couple of weeks, you have to have the ability. To, people have to let off steam. They have to be able to express their anger safely and appropriately and constitutionally. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that can't be, 
oh, well, it's, it's 10 o'clock, the curfew's, got, you gotta stop now, go home. Right. That's not the way it works. There needs to be a space for protest that people. And, and, and understand that, it, that it's a visceral need to vent the anger that, that, that has to happen. But anger from, you know, both sides have to understand that once the anger's over, you have to go back in and do the hard work. And there has to be uh, a clear and transparent analysis of what, of what happens. And, and what the, like releasing video, what's going to change this? This is, we're getting way I was far to ask from, was it, well, way, way far from the LGBT community. Uh, there's agenda, some, but some parallels. So Houston, long before Ferguson, a year before Ferguson, Houston was, was piloting uh, body-worn cameras. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> right now, the current mayor of Houston is implementing uh, a contract that, that I had signed, uh, putting a body-worn camera on every patrol officer in the city. We have to you know, roll them out. That's going to be a game changer in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, a dash cam shows what's right in front of the car. That body-worn camera captures so much more information. It's not a, a, a panacea, it's not everything, but it makes both sides, it changes the behavior on both sides of the camera. I have heard that actually police departments that implement them, the officers wind up being in favor yes. of, of their, and it actually- The number of it, complaints against officers yeah. goes down. Right. Some, yeah, you know it's gonna be on camera so you behave better, but, but a lot of it is that, that uh, everybody's aware that Right. That, the, that the camera's on. But here's the thing. We all have this expectation of what, uh, you know, we watch these and we, we say, well, it's just a, it was a common traffic stop. Where do most police officers get shot or injured? In traffic stops. It's the most dangerous thing an officer can do. Mm -hmm. And we don't adequately teach people what to do. I mean, yes, if you, you, you may have heard, you know, like, leave your hands on the wheel, don't, don't get out. But I've been on, on ride-alongs, and it's inevitable. You, you pull somebody over, and there's a woman in the, in the, in the car, and the officer, you, you know, you, the two cars stop, and the first thing the woman does is, start, is mm. lean over and reach for her purse. And, the, and as soon as the officer sees that movement, you know, there's the hand on the gun, and, and the adrenaline shoots up and, and you're already tense. Mm -hmm. we, we need to have much better dialogue and communication about what each side is doing at each point so we know how to react to it. And, you know, if, if, yeah, I've been pulled over a few times. It's been a while. You know, when I was mayor, <laughs> I didn't drive. I had a, I had a security detail, so, but right. I used to have a lead foot. <laughs> and so I've, of course, I haven't been pulled over since I've been mayor. Uh, but uh, you know, your 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 adrenaline is up. Their adrenaline is up. It's not a good situation, right? But in the race is, I mean, yeah. Uh, I did a, a, uh, an audit. And I, it may still be available on the city of Houston's website of taser use within the police department back when I was city controller, and the category of officers that used tasers the least were African American officers and we, we really couldn't you know, go deep enough in our in our, our survey of, of the, the, the facts but the you know my, the conclusion I, I drew was that we also had they also had fewer African-American officers had fewer use of use of force in general but but taser use as well and that when you when you looked at it an African-American officer's pulling over an African-American driver, it appeared that neither one of them, that the adrenaline didn't spike quite so high as right. if there was a racial uh, difference. Right. And maybe if you start off at a calmer place, the, the interaction yeah. goes better. Um, let's, we took our detour, which I think was interesting and worth, worthwhile, that we can turn the car around. So you know, you're, you're driving this yeah, car, you I'm, know. I'm gonna turn the car around and go back to the, uh, our agenda. Um, and ask you, so like, you know, you laid out an agenda, actually. You specifically laid out an agenda, which I have written down here somewhere. Are you talking about the gay agenda? Yes, the gay agenda. I used to, when I was an activist Besides in the, the 70s, brunch, I, right? I, I said there was no such thing as the gay agenda. Right. And I used to, used to infuriate me. I, I would debate people on the other side in the 70s and 80s and talk about this gay agenda. Like we all got in a room together and 
laid out uh, some manifesto of uh, what we were going to be doing. But then over time I realized that there really is an LGBT or LGBTQ agenda and that it, but that it has risen organically. It wasn't some you know, secret plot, but it's a, it's a fairly straightforward agenda. And yeah. I'm, happy to, I'm happy to enumerate it. Yes, I, had it, I thought I had it written down here because one of the things that struck me is that it was actually a very conservative agenda in many ways because you talk about the, f the freedom to we, we raise a be family, able to, we taxes, be able to, serve we your country. We want to be able to, to work without being uh, fired and you know, work so we can pay taxes. We want to be able to serve our country openly in the, in the military. We want to be able to honor our relationships through marriage. We want to be able to, uh, to create families through adoption. We want to be able to go to school without being bullied. Right. We want to be able to toilet without being assaulted. <laughs> we want to be able to walk down any street in America and feel safe in our person. As far as I can see, that's the LGBT agenda. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think people may not be seeing that they should be seeing on that agenda? Like, is there something that, you know, Amer straight America should know about this agenda beyond what you've enumerated, which is the basic human rights part of it? Like, is there something that we're not seeing? I don't think so, but what I, what I think uh, the gay and lesbian community or the LGBT community in uh, America needs to understand that the state of the world is, is very different from what we're experiencing here. We may be having a, uh, you know, a, a battle uh, around access to, to, to bathrooms by our transgender brothers and, and sisters, but as we sit here today, there's a lesbian in South Africa that's being raped under the reparative rape theory that a, a violent mm -hmm. sexual encounter will, of course, turn you straight. And uh, transgendered uh, uh, women who are relegated to being sex workers uh, all around the world because they, they are thrown out of their families, they don't have access uh, to jobs. There's a lot more work to do even when we secure full integration into American society for the LGBT community. You know, it's funny, ironic. Um, the person who's mentioned the, uh, the world status, uh, the global fight for rights um, for the LGBT, uh, BT, I always do that, community, uh, is Donald Trump. He's the one who's like, well, there are people getting thrown off buildings and stuff. Like, you've, you've seen him do this. Yeah. He claims to be the one that's going to protect that community, and he's doing this outreach. What, when, I, when he says LGBTQ... Yes, I would say the, the real Donald Trump, please stand up. The <laughs> Donald Trump is saying so many positions on so many things that I don't understand how anybody can believe anything he, 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 he says. And do you lump his support for transgender bathrooms in there with that? Um, Who knows what you know, he, he, really he did flip. He did. He, he flippantly said that uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner could could use whatever bathroom she wanted. But on the other hand, he said that he would support uh, Supreme Court justices. He would yeah. sweep back all these. <laughs> so he has even more trouble with the LGBT than I do. He always sounds like he's ordering a sandwich. LGBTQL. Uh, no, I don't yeah. like the I don't like the uh, initials. But yeah. yeah. It's just I always. So, slightly trip over the top. So one of the things, you know, I, we started w with talking about me as, as mayor, and I will say that one of the things I did, I tried to be circumspect as mayor again. I did my uh, partisan politicking outside the state because I had a sort of a, you know, you don't foul your own nest. I, I need, for Houston, I <laughs> <Okay>. needed to, <laughs> and I do say that deliberately, for Houston I needed to make sure that I had a good working relationship with everyone mm -hmm. because it was about Houston. But uh, the, when I would travel on trade missions for the city, I would carve out time and have side meetings away from the, the trade mission. So everywhere I went, I tried to meet with uh, either local women activists or elected, women elected officials or uh, LGBT activists. And it, so I kept myself aware of some of the challenges in, uh, in in South America, and in, I met with I met with some amazing LGBT activists in in Indonesia, places where they they are being murdered mm -hmm. in the streets and do and can end up 
Russia in, in, in prison, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it offered the support that I could, but mostly all I could offer was, I hear you, I see you, we've made progress, don't give up, mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll pray for you. And w- I guess actually I would say that, you know, what should, the, do you think, do you have a vision for how, as a you know, foreign policy matter, the U.S. should deal with these countries? Deal with that? Uh, deal with that? Well, I think that we have, as we can, uh, is, you know, and this is a hard part of, of leadership, there are always a set of priorities you have mm-hmm. to, to work on, but when, when President Obama uh, uh, challenged uh, African leaders in, uh, 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 in going to, to Kenya, for mm-hmm. example, and saying, we called them out. Called them out. Yeah. So um, I think we're getting close to question time, um, which there are microphones r- right there, uh, and we'll be going to. If you have a question, you can line up at the microphone. Um, I wanted to do a speed round. <laughs> of uh, I will name a person, and oh, you will these. tell okay. me the first thing that comes to mind. We'll start with one that's maybe pleasant. Molly Ivins. Oh, I love Molly Ivins. Oh, but speed round. I'm only supposed to say yeah. like one word. Yeah, just maybe. First thing comes to mind. Tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Cruz. Lion Ted. <laughs> Dan Patrick. I just like wipe my feet when I say that. Uh, <laughs> I, I I will tell you my the reason I, I. When I was a council member, this is totally off track, but I used to be on the air with Dan Patrick frequently. He had a TV show in Houston, and he would call me up as a, uh, when I was a council member, and, and actually as an activist, and had me come on, and he'd, you know, he'd take the, the far right side, and mm-hmm. I'd talk about LGBT issues, and he uh, uh, sandbagged me at one time. I was in my office, at my council office late at night, or not late at night, like drive time, mm-hmm. like six o'clock, five thirty, and he called and I answered the phone and he goes, "You're live on the air." And then he he had somebody on the on the the air with him and they just they jumped me. Wow. And I told him afterwards that I'd never have I would never be on the air with him again. That I'd always treated you know him respectfully and that. So you have reason to just dislike him as a I, person. Yes. Okay. That's just yeah. not that's just not <laughs> cool. So. Um, Caitlyn Jenner. <sighs> Disgraceful. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Ted Cruz endorsing Caitlyn Jenner. Obama. Uh, could never, could never be what people needed him to be, but he was the best president he could be. Ken Starr. Sad, sad. How the mighty have fallen. Huh? Um, I wanted to, as a Rice alum, I wanted to compliment your marching band. Um, <laughs> the star. On, we know the, the Title IX symbol Title IX, that they yeah, did. Yeah. Um, Ann Richards. Uh, icon. And Hillary Clinton. Frustrating. <laughs> oh, frustrating, okay. amazing, uh, uh, inspirational, but frustrating. Okay, unpack a little and then we're going to go to questions. I'm a, I, I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter. I was you know, on, I supported her eight, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, arguably the most prepared, most qualified person ever to run for President of the United States, with the possible exception of Bush 41. Mm -hmm. And I am also a big Bush 41 fan. And to to have so many skills and so much, so bright and so much to offer, but she's built a huge wall around herself because she's been, you know, pounded on for so many years. Mm -hmm. And it's, hard to find the real Hillary. I think she'd be a great president, absolutely a great president. But it's hard, but we all, people want to know, know the person they're electing president. Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of reasons, understandable reasons, I think she has yeah. built, built a wall to protect herself. And it's hard to unpack, as you said, right. her. Yeah. Not enough of a wall when it comes to her email, but yes. <laughs> oh. um, uh, let's go to questions, go, we'll go right side, left side. Uh, you first, please. Um, um, my name is Winston Shoemaker. I'm a student here at UT and ho- part-time hobbyist political scientist and econ- economist. And I was wondering how you would look to deal with the divisions, not between heteronormative 
America and LGBT, but within the LGBT community itself, between the L and G, the and the B and the T itself. <laughs> you know, and when you consider when I became a, an activist, and I, I was involved in a in a lesbian organization on on campus at Rice in the in the like mid seventies. I attended the actually the uh, my first. Uh, gay organizing activity in 1975, uh, Texas Gay Conference. So it was a long time ago. And it was the Texas Gay Conference because that's what we called ourselves. And it was very focused on the agenda for, for, for gay men. Because the, the idea was that, that we were really all the same and it was the same issue and the things that, that lesbians were concerned about and the things that gay men were concerned about were the, were the same. When I was president of the Houston Gay and Lesbian Political Caucus, it, I became president of the Houston Gay Political Caucus. It changed its name while I was president. And I have to tell you, it wasn't my idea to change its name. I thought it was a, like, a, a completely ancillary. I was focused on, like, this is, these are real things we need to work, about, pe work on. People are getting fired. People, but, I, it was, but obviously, a lot of people cared very much about having that, the L word there because they didn't, a lot of my lesbian sisters didn't feel included unless that L word was there. And I learned a lot over the years about the different divisions within the community. When I was running for city council, uh, the bulk of my uh, money that I raised for my council race, the winning council race, was from uh, gay men. Uh, a lot of the, uh, my volunteers were from the, the lesbian and transgender community. And I had a number of gay men who told me that they didn't want to walk into the headquarters and, and see uh, uh, someone who was transgendered uh, work in the uh, uh, front desk. So I asked a, a transgendered woman friend of mine to be my volunteer coordinator and make sure <laughs> that she was the first person that everybody saw when they came in the, the room. Uh, those divisions, unfortunately, still exist. But what I think we have achieved over low these many years is an understanding that that LGBTQ agenda that I mentioned benefits all of us, that we all have a piece of it, and that if we work to achieve those things for our portions of the LGBT community, it also serves the broader American population as well. Who doesn't want to be able to feel that they can walk down any street in America and not have people think that they don't belong? Maybe because they're a young black man in a hoodie, or maybe because they are uh, a tall, black, transsexual, mm -hmm. transgendered woman that everybody can tell mm -hmm. is in transition. It's about respect and about understanding that the things that make our society work together involve mutual respect, lots of communication, and a little dash of, of tolerance in there. On this side, I have trouble seeing through the light, but yeah. There, Hello, yeah. Ms. Parker. My name is Camille Wynn, and I'm a college sophomore at St. Houston State University. I don't know if you remember me, but I was a district representative on your Mayor Youth Council back in Houston during my senior year of high school. And I really appreciate everything you have done for the gay community, but I do have some questions and advice to, uh, to ask from you. Um, I wish to go into a law career, and I don't want to work solely just with the LGBT members of LGBT community members. I want to work with people from all platforms, but what I'm afraid is, um, as someone who is pansexual and gender fluid, I feel like I'm putting my you life You realize I don't actually know what that means. Huh? I'm sorry, what? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like I'm putting my life on the line when I'm trying to reach out to other people, and I just want to ask you how do I reach out to people to, who is too ignorant and blind to see that I am human? Like, how do I fight for my own rights and the rights of my gay and trans and bi and you know, LGBT brothers and sisters? So, I think, again, I've been talking a lot about communication. 
and looking for the places we intersect instead of the places that we divide. Mm -hmm. I've told the story over the years, and I'm not going to tell the whole story because it takes up too much time, but early on, I, I was the, back when I was the president of the Gay Political Caucus in Houston in the, in the mid-80s, I had an encounter with a very conservative older man who I needed to ask his help for something. And he, when he found out that I was, was, was gay, he essentially, you know, told me, well, essentially, he told me he didn't approve, he, he didn't need to help me, he didn't have to help me, and uh, he was just going to go on and do his own thing. And I appealed to him and accidentally touched on something that we had in common. He happened to be, uh, he happened to be a... Um, active in, in a union, and uh, he was a, an active Democrat, and I happened to be a, a Democrat as, as well. And he ended up saying, well, since we had that in common, yeah. It, it's a great story when I tell it, <laughs> trust me. That, that, that yes, he would help me in the circumstance. And what I realized was that you have to keep finding the points of intersection. And if you dwell on the places where, you know, the, those divisions, that's all you'll see. But if you, look, if you just keep looking for the points of intersection and make multiple points of intersection, you can ultimately work with or communicate with anybody of goodwill who wants to work with you. And most people actually do. But the other thing I will tell you is, as someone who has been doing this work for a very long time is that I never expect people to get me right away, and I never expect people to suddenly say, uh, yes, I completely understand, and I, you know, it's, do the, do the night and day transformation. What I ask is that people give me space to get to know me and to keep working. So I, so I guess, you know, here's the, the, the advice is that you can't go in and say, um, I'm a gender fluid, pansexual human being, you go in and work together on whatever you're working together on in that point of intersection. Mm -hmm. And as they get to know you, be yourself. And, and, and don't, get, don't be yourself with labels. Be yourself with, I like this, I don't like that. Oh, you know, just a human being to each other. Mm -hmm. That's thank a long, so complicated answer, but mm -hmm. thank you for the question. Um, so uh, we have a very hard out, unfortunately. Um, there's a bar mitzvah happening in this room. Uh, we're not kidding. Um, so I think we're going to take one more question. And, and then we'll oh, go out to the lobby. And then actually, yes, we'll, both of us, we will all go out to, we'll go to the lobby. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes to the lobby. Um, but from the mics. Way to put the pressure on me. Oh, sorry. Um, it better be you good. You can give it to the uh, next person and we can go outside. But, perfect. Okay. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Luis Gonzalez. I'm a communications graduate from UT Austin. Now I work here at the university. Um, Mayor, you were talking about the, uh, your, the gay agenda, at least your agenda, and it was very conservative. There were basic human rights. I wouldn't call it the LGBTQ agenda. That's the, I think that was my, my point. Exactly. But would you see, could you support, or would you see the benefit of maybe including in our agenda the inclusion of LGBTQ history in middle schools or high schools around Texas? Maybe that could open the eyes of people who are not familiar with our community. I mean, we learn about the Holocaust, but we don't learn about Matthew Shepard or Harvey Milk. We didn't learn about the HIV crisis or Stonewall. Do you, do you think that could be our LGBTQ agenda or part of it? I've, I've been focused on the, the, what I consider that fundamental LGBTQ agenda, which is, a, as you pointed out rightly, a human rights agenda. But yes, it is important to reclaim and understand our history. Uh, I think we still have way, a way to go on the, that fundamental human rights piece of it. And it's all about prioritization. <laughs> Ask me when transgender brothers and sisters have full equality in, in America to join you in working on what we teach in school. 
I think there, I mean, I, to me, yes, it's important, but it's also about how you, how you can divide your time and your energy, and I still think that there are some things that we need to, we need to fight. Now, I'm not unaware of the irony in that, me saying that the reason that, that uh, the transgender community is attacked is because people don't understand them, but uh, I think that, yeah, and, and, but that's not the way they need to be understood through history books. The way they need to be understood is because we, as we come out in our families, as we have conversations over the dinner table, that's the, where the real understanding takes Thank place. You. And we will continue this conversation out in the lobby, but for now, please join me in thanking Thank Denise you. Parker.